my feeling is is that there is an aspect of what's considered good music because people have been told it's good music. It's been celebrated. People have been told, you know, this work is an incredible work. And that doesn't mean that it's not, but that, that having the added layer of it having a wave of support behind it, you know, helps people feel more comfortable. You know, always remember that Bach had, was lost and forgotten until he had a resurgence when Mendelssohn brought him back and said Mendelssohn was like, this composer is brilliant. That's violinist Abby Fayette of the Catalyst Quartet joining me today to talk about their brand new album, Uncovered Volume 3, which features the works of Coleridge Taylor Perkinson, George Walker, and William Grant Still. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to a new episode of Heart of the Arts. Congratulations on a brand new album. We have Abby Fayette here in the studios on Heart of the Arts today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Again, congrats on a beautiful new album. It's very powerful and energetic. Here at KBOC, we have a, a handful of your recordings that are by Black composers. Has that always been a part of your professional trajectory? And if I may ask... Was it ever a part of your education when you were coming up as an artist? I'm just trying to understand, like, your why. Of course, absolutely. Well, I guess I'll start with saying that I didn't actually really come to uh, discover these composers myself personally until I joined the Catalyst Quartet in um, 2020. The quartet really started the journey on this sort of uh, recording project back in 2017-18 and the genesis of the project really came um, from the summers that the quartet teaches at the Sphinx Performance Academy where yeah. uh, other faculty and colleagues um, were bringing in these incredible pieces and performing them and we were all scratching our heads being like wow this is such an incredible piece of music how come one I we've never heard of it and two it seems like nobody else has heard of it before. And of course, you know, you understand the history of discrimination and all that stuff. um, And you realize that, you know, these pieces kind of got lost in the mix as a result. Um, So that's sort of how the project started. And we originally thought that the project would only be one album. (laughs) And um, as soon as we started uncovering this music, we discovered just how much of it there was which is there's so much incredible music out there that's been left by the wayside and constantly discovering new pieces. And so, yeah, it kind of turned into this multi-volume recording project that, uh, that we're, we're still, we're still on. Yeah. So you have, you feature George Walker, Coleridge Taylor Perkinson, and William Grant still on volume three uh, that was released, well, it's March 1st. So last month, just a couple weeks ago, can you speak about each of these or some of these composers and their important place in history of like, you know, concert music here in the U.S.? So all three of these composers are American composers, George Walker being the sort of most recent, recently with us, Mm -hmm. uh, followed by Parkinson. You know, each one of these composers, it's important to note that in their lifetime, they were actually very well-respected, well-regarded composers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think William Grant Still was even sort of had the nickname the Dean of American Chamber Music, which is interesting. I mean, 
you know, they all kind of really embody, I think, what the sort of American sound for music is. And I think, you know, when people think about American classical music, I think most likely the first person that would come to mind would be Aaron Copland. Yeah. But you have these incredible voices of composers like Carlos Taylor Perkins and William Grant Still, George Walker, and I'm going to throw Florence Price into the mix there as well, mm-hmm. who were really writing quite a wealth of music and sourcing inspiration from, you know, um, music from the folk tradition, spirituals, um, even um, from his uh, historical, you know, sort of uh, slave plantation songs, things that really kind of actually are kind of the cores of the kernels of American music. Yeah. And they were the ones that were really bringing it into classical composition and developing it and embracing it and putting music out there. So I think it's really important to acknowledge these composers as integral parts of the fabric that is American classical music. Yeah, I read a quote recently. I don't know. I can't remember what I was researching, but Dvorak considered those spirituals and their folk music just like the the bread and butter of the American sound. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember the exact wording of the quote, but it's something you know along the lines of being like basically declaring that these spirituals and folk songs and everything are the American sound. Yes, and some argue that Gershwin, I can't remember if it was something from Rhapsody in Blue or his piano concerto where he kind of was stealing ideas from Black composers whose music wasn't, you know, able to to be out there as much as his. Well, let's not forget that, you know, most of music composition is is a, based on borrowing or stealing or right. being yes. inspired by others. Yeah, you that's, know? that's been around forever. Yeah. Beethoven did it to Mozart and and so on and so forth. And so there is a musicologist that quoted, you know, these black musical materials in the composition styles. So if a a listener or someone who is a new listener who's trying to hear that in what you're playing, is that basically what you just said there? It's in, it comes directly from the folk music, the plantation songs and the spirituals. What can listeners or what is a really good example or piece of music they can dive into and really start to familiarize themselves with those American sounds? Yeah, well, for I mean, the easiest one to point out is is Coleridge Taylor Perkinson's um, string quartet, which is titled Calvary, sort of based off of the very famous spiritual Calvary. And I think it's really clear from the very opening statement of the first movement, um, if anyone is familiar with that particular s- song, that they'll hear it immediately. And what I, you know, what's really fascinating to see is is that you know, the way he threads that song throughout the entire work and manipulates it. And by the time you get to the last movement, you still have elements and remember and sort of remember that sound world um, that he created in the first movement around using this spiritual, but it's completely transformed at this point. And he's turned it into something that's completely new and unique in his own. So sort of his own sort of reflection on on what that that tune means to him. Mm-hmm. 
what people will hear in these pieces is something that's, yes, a new voice, a voice that perhaps they hadn't heard before, but one that is familiar, one that is not like completely abandoning what the Western compositional style is. Mm-hmm. And these, you know, these composers lived around the same, you know, canon that we live around today. I mean, I would argue that probably they might have been a little bit more experienced with, you know, composers that maybe we don't know today mm-hmm. um, for, for whatever reason. But, you know, they studied and, and, and utilized and incorporated, you know, what we find familiar about listening to classical music. I mean, one of the biggest comments that we hear back from audiences, especially regarding um, the composer Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, who was a 19th century composer, mm-hmm. is, wow, his music sounds so much like Dvorak. It does. I love his music and string quartets and just chamber music in general. It's so beautiful. And yeah, it reminds me of Dvorak. Right. So I think, you know, people will find that there are things that they can grab onto that say, oh, this kind of sounds like this composer I know. or And to look for those pathways where people can connect in that way mm-hmm. so that, you know, these composers are, don't feel so out of left field or so new. I mean, I find all these composers to be extremely approachable. recently talked to like Rachel Barton Pine and I'm curious what mm-hmm. kind of conversations in your world in those in those circles that you are run so closely to what are those conversations like you know if we were a fly on the wall like obviously I can talk directly to someone who's doing the research you know do you guys talk about where are we finding the latest transcripts uh, where do we where do we research and find new material obviously you know, we as a quartet have become intimately familiar with several of these composers of color. Right now, I would say that probably the composer that's getting the most uh, widespread resurgence is really Florence Price, Yeah, which, I mean, is amazing. I mean, but I think that the conversation that, you know, we're having is how do we make these pieces a permanent fixture in the canon. Like how how can we open up the small circle that is the sort of standard um, canon repertoire, which is made up pretty much entirely of deceased white men, mm-hmm. and open up make these pe- make these composers like Corsale Perkinson and Florence Price and George Walker and all of these wonderful, brilliant composers a part like a permanent part. of our canon of Western classical music. Um, And there's a lot of different ways of approaching that. I mean, as a quartet, you know, we, you know, we have played several concerts that are sort of centered around our Uncovered project. But as, you know, the Uncovered project has been out there for longer, I mean, our programming is not to just be like, okay, we're going to play an entire concert of just Black composers or just female composers, Mm -hmm. but really mixing them in with standard repertoire because they you know in in our minds they belong there 
Yeah. Not just making it about, oh, it's Women's History Month now, so we're just going right. to play. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah. I totally agree with that. And kind mm-hmm. of piggybacking on that, on the article with your new album, there's the uh, Coleridge Taylor Perkinson quote. And this is from 1978, how he said, the situation has changed today, as in 78. Um, it's not changed much, but it has changed. So how much do you think it's really changed since he's made that quote? Well, I'll say that for me, one of the things, and you know, this kind of goes back to your first initial question. I think one of the biggest changes is that these works and these composers are now a part of music education. Okay. Like they're a part of students at summer festivals are playing these pieces. These pieces are being taught in, in conservatories. Kids in conservatories are familiar with these composers now. Mm. Um, and that, I think, is a massive change. Because if you're not teaching it in school, that's sort of like the first place where you get your sort of exposure. Yeah. You know, your, your music education is supposed to kind of give you a sampling. And then you kind of, you know, dive deeper on your own. And so if it's not included there, then you're already, it's already a much bigger stretch to get people there. Yes, it is. Um, so I think, I mean, for me and what I've observed, and, I'm, you know, I graduated not that long ago from my master's degree, mm. and I never heard of a single one of these composers talked about, performed anything, nothing. Right. At all. Yeah. And that was you know, like four or five years ago. And did you study at Juilliard? No, um, I did my undergrad degree at the Curtis Institute of Music. Curtis, and then okay. I did my master's at New England Conservatory. Mm, okay. Yeah, I noticed. And some of these composers, uh, who was it that was from Curtis? Was it uh, George Walker? George Walker. Okay. Yes. So it's it's amazing how they had frustrations and difficulties when they went to like some of the best music schools i mean curtis is huge and florence price was a prodigy she went to nec when she was barely a teenager okay. so it's like um and also actually in arkansas where florence price grew up both her and william grint still attended the same um art school which was really supposedly um according to her really uh they had such an incredible music program and really fostered um music education and who would have thought in like you know (laughs) the earlier part of the 1900s in Little Rock Arkansas you know (laughs) yeah I've been hosting classical music for like 10 years now and I'm just Mm -hmm. I feel like it was about five years ago when they you know all those stories about Florence Price and the house fire and discovering the you know these um scores how right how, how much of that is still out there not just specifically her music, but just in general. Do you I mean, know? who knows? There are, I mean, there are several works that we're aware of that exist that we have no idea where her music is. For example, um, Samuel Corey's Taylor right now, the only string quartet that's we know that's in physical existence is his um, five uh, fantasy stücke. Mm. But there's supposedly a complete string quartet, um, which is we have no idea where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are other pieces. There is supposedly another string quartet by Florence Price that's missing. And, you know, who knows how much else that's not string quartet specific repertoire. 
Yeah. You know, I yeah. think there's a symphony that's also lost and you just have no idea. I mean, is this like the kind of thing where it's like it's sitting in somebody's dusty basement and like <laughs> they just haven't looked and figured it out? Or is it really truly lost? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And going back to what we were talking about a minute ago about your main the conversations you're having with other groups and artists is to make these composers a regular part of the canon people love to argue that either maybe they're really traditionalists and they say well their music wasn't as good and then some people say no it's great you just don't play it enough and I say we just don't have the recordings yet and making it part of the concert hall is the next step I think to then get great recordings I can't just say, oh, I found this great string quartet by Coleridge Taylor or whoever and put it on the radio just because I should. I have to have, you have to have a good recording of it. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's part of the reason why the recording aspect of the Uncovered Project is so necessary. Because when we would go and find these pieces, there's a huge benefit to the, to the availability of technology to, to musicians these days. The fact YouTube, Spotify, all that stuff as a sort of way to find information is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yet, it is also the main apparatus and people use to say, oh, I've never heard this piece before. Let me find a YouTube video (laughs) or let me try to see if there's a recording on Spotify. And if that recording isn't really quite doing the piece justice, Mm -hmm. then people are much more likely to be like, oh, this is just not a good piece. Yeah. And so we really struggled a lot. And that's also, you know, one of the main ways we are discovering these pieces is that it's like, oh, I've never heard of this composer, Ethel Smythe. Okay, Mm -hmm. let me go on YouTube and see what she's got. And Mm -hmm. if nothing comes up or if people hear something that they don't think is that great, then they're going to say, oh, it's not really a great piece. Let's just not play it. Yeah. And that's the other argument I've heard is uh, people coming back who maybe are, I don't know, super traditional. And they say, well, maybe their music isn't played as much just because it's not as good or there's no audience for it. How would I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, this something that I always come back to and think about is is that, you know, the question of what is good music, you know, Mm -hmm. and there is an aspect to that where and this is just my own musing. I mean, this isn't necessarily based in a ton of research, but my feeling is, is that there is an aspect of what's considered good music because people have been told it's good music. It's been celebrated. People have been told, you know, this work is an incredible work. And that doesn't mean that it's not, but that having the added layer of it having a wave of support behind it you know, helps people feel more comfortable, you know, always remember that Bach had was lost and forgotten until he had a resurgence when Mendelssohn brought him back and said, Mendelssohn was like, this composer is brilliant. We should be playing this composer. Exactly. Yeah. People like that, like you said, that bit of comfort, that little stamp of approval. Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit um, about the uh, chamber group. People have described you as like watching a family 
in a lively conversation at the dinner table. So (laughs) how do you build that kind of rapport with each other? Is it something that is natural? Are you invited because there's that natural connection? Is it developed outside in your free time together? You know, people always joke that playing in a string quartet is like being in a four-way marriage. (laughs) Um, Not without its ups and downs. I mean, I think what is essential in order for a string quartet to work is is that everybody needs to be able to be vulnerable with each other and be comfortable with being vulnerable with each other. And without that, you know, you, you can't really have a raw connection sort of in terms of, you know, creating together. You know, for us, we are all extremely strong personalities and have a deep respect for whatever the music is that we're playing and also a deep mutual respect for each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important. I mean, when you put four really passionate people in a room together mm-hmm. and everybody's, you know, trying to fight for the most, you know, you want to create something that's, you know, really beautiful. There is going to be some bumps in the road mm-hmm. <laughs> because everybody, but, you know, always remembering that we as a quartet, we have the same goal is, which is to present, the most um, artful performance that we possibly can together. And so, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess you could say that like all four of us, you know, there's just like a very specific vibing that we have. And it probably wouldn't work as well if you each individually didn't have a really strong personality. I feel like that's a requirement. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. It definitely comes out in the music. Your performances speak for themselves and um, what else can our listeners uh, kind of keep an ear out for what's coming up next for for the quartet we are trying to work on volume four we're Mm. not we're not quite sure when exactly volume four will come out but that's going to feature all of the string quartets of joseph boulogne chevalier de saint georges oh have you Um, seen the uh, preview for the movie Yes, we're very excited about it. <laughs> yeah. um, looking forward to it. And um, but yeah, those are um, be great. eighteen string quartets. Wow! So it's a tall order. I didn't um, even know he quart- had that many. Yeah, six of them we have to find. Um, they're buried somewhere, either in a library in Paris or in Germany. Mm. Not that any of us are complaining about having to go <laughs> dig through a library in Paris or Germany. Um, but that's sort of the next um, step in the Uncovered project. And we've sort of expanded our Uncovered project, at least in our performing, um, where we're sort of really incorporating works by um, female composers like Teresa Carreño, Ethel Smythe, Amy Beach, Fanny Mendelssohn, as well as um, Latin composers um, like Miguel Bernal Jimenez, Antonio Carlos Gomez, um, and sort of expanding our scope of the Uncovered project beyond just Black composers. Yeah. So that's a really fun uncovering adventure. So. Well, that's wonderful. Abby, it was so nice to talk to you. I'm so excited to get your voice on the airwaves here in uh, the Valley and get this music and this message out there. Ashley, well, thank you so much You know for, for featuring the album and having this conversation. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, I hope to talk to you guys again soon. 
Of course, absolutely. Violinist and member of the Catalyst Quartet, Abby Fayette, joining us today to talk about their brand new album, Uncovered Volume 3. You can stay on top of what's happening with the quartet by following them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at catalystquartet.com. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.